as we start this series, um, today I'm just going to give you kind of an introduction. And in the introduction, I want to answer just two questions. So it means I only have two points. But I've got a lot of sub-points underneath uh, those two points. Um, the first question is, why is there, why is there no peace? Why is the world constantly in turmoil? And then the second question, in light of that, is it possible to have peace? Is it possible to have peace? I want to also read through the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to change it a little bit because this is really addressed to the people of God. Um, and often the first word is blessed or happy. I'm going to change it because it's very, very much the same. I'm going to change it to fortunate. It can mean fortunate, and that's how I want to use it. Because as you listen to these, and I'm going to reword them, they're going to go ahead and put them up on the screen, but what I say isn't going to necessarily match what's up on the screen on the Beatitudes. So Matthew chapter 5, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is really kind of a lousy title, isn't it? I mean, it's not like Jesus said, okay, I'm going to give you the Sermon on the Mount. That would be like me saying, I'm going to give you the Sermon from the Pulpit. A better title, I think, of this, these chapters 5, 6, and 7. And, and by the way, this, this represents a comprehensive uh, summary of the teaching of Jesus. So if you want to know what Jesus taught over and over and over again, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. These are his teachings. These are the teachings he gave to the disciples, and he told the disciples that they were to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all these things that I have taught you. So this is what, if you read the epistles, it's, it's just repeating and expanding sometimes and explaining the Sermon on the Mount. But here's, here's what I want to call it. I want to call it the Kingdom Manifesto. You've, you typically think of manifesto as something bad, but, but it's just it's the parameters, it's the principles, it's the practices of a whole society a whole group of people that commit themselves because of their leader, and in our case, it's our king. As he has instructed us, he's given us this manifesto, not just to know, but to live out. To live out and to practice. So let me just read through the uh, Beatitudes. As I said, go ahead and put those up. Do you have those back there? Matthew chapter 5. All right, that's the, that's the introduction. This is how the whole thing begins. 
When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. So there's a whole large group of people. Then there's his 12 gathered around him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Okay, now listen. You can see it up there, but here's, here's how I'm going to change it, just so this helps me understand it. How fortunate are the people who lack the spirit that drives the world? Then he says next, how fortunate are those who are truly saddened by the brokenness in the world, especially in themselves, but really all around them. Then the next is, blessed are the gentle, how fortunate, how fortunate are the people that know how to exercise power for the reason it was given. Then the fourth one. How fortunate are the people who have the right desires as they live their lives. Then the next one. Blessed are the merciful. How fortunate, how fortunate are the people that know how to extend mercy to everyone around them. Even, even if they're mistreated, they can extend mercy. Number eight, or verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart. How fortunate are the people that know how to worship and who to worship. So that, so that they never give their hearts to any false idols. And then the next is, blessed are the peacemakers. How fortunate, how fortunate are the people who can go into difficult situations where there's conflict taking place and they know how to make peace. How fortunate are those people. And then the last one, and this really extends out for a number of verses, but in verse 10, it says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. How fortunate, how fortunate is it to be so identified with Jesus Christ that the people who don't like Him and are opposed to Him are also opposed to you. How fortunate. See, that, that helps me understand because I read this and I say, oh, this is my privilege. It's my privilege to think like this, to act like this, and to react, especially to react like this. So, so we're going to each week, over the next eight weeks, starting next week, we're going to take one of those verses. 
We'll take next week, we'll take, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and here's my goal each week. I want to help you understand how fortunate you are so that, so that you look at these things. Because as I was thinking about all these things, all these things, these attitudes, these beatitudes, this way of thinking, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. Sometimes, in, sometimes when I'm counseling people and, and they make really dumb choices, I'll say to them, listen, the next time you have a thought, just do the opposite. Life will probably get better for you. Or just move on to your next thought. But really, you look at these, right? You look at these, and one of the things you say to yourself is, wow, this, this looks so upside down. This looks so countercultural," And it is. But I want you to know something. It's exactly the way Jesus thought. These are, these are the beatitudes of Jesus. This is how He came into the world. This is the way He saw reality. See, our, our problem is we don't see reality the right way. It's because we were born, you know, we were born into this world in which all the thinking in this world, which is part of the problem, why we have so much turmoil, all the thinking is wrong. So that's why it sounds so upside down, so countercultural for us. Let's answer the first question, why is, there, why is there no peace? Well, the first reason there's no peace is because most people are unaware of the fact that we are in a war zone. When you were born into this world, you were born into a war zone. It's not just, it's not just a war in the Middle East or places in Africa or distant, distant places from here. It's, it's the whole world is a battleground. You were born into a battlefield. And it's an invisible war. It's an invisible war. L- let, me, let me summarize how this whole war came about. The first creation did not take place on the earth. The first creature, the, the first person, The first group that was created was a group called angels, archangels, seraphim, and cherubim. And they're they're ranked. And probably, if not the first, certainly the most powerful creature, the most powerful personage that was created was Lucifer, star of the morning. Um, all kinds of things that we could go into about him, that, that music, he was, he, was, he was in charge of all the music, of, of all these spirit beings called angels, archangels, seraphim, and cherubim. But he was the most powerful, and he was given the responsibility of overseeing the fact that God was supposed to receive all the glory. And then one day... Actually, before time, so it wasn't a day. At some point, how's that? At some point, he had a thought. And it's recorded in Isaiah chapter 
14. And, and here's, this, it's called the five I wills, but here's the summation of the five I wills. I will be like God. The one who was supposed to serve so that God received the glory wanted to steal God's glory. And so God cast him out of heaven and a third of the angels followed after him. And that was the beginning of the invisible war. Uh, war. Because you, you now have this kingdom of God and you have this other kingdom fighting that kingdom of God. The kingdom of darkness, it's called. The kingdom of Satan. God then created another world. And this wasn't a spirit world. It was a physical world and a spiritual world. But, but mostly, it's a physical world in the sense that its, its dimension was physical, and that's the earth and everything in it. And he created all kinds of creatures described in Genesis chapter 1. And then the height of his creation, the way he was going to take back his glory and give it to a creature who would, who would also be charged with giving the glory to God, he created man. He created man, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And then from that man, he, he took a rib and he created a woman. And the man and the woman were charged with, with giving glory to God by obeying everything that God said. That was it. Just, just do everything I said. Adam, Adam and Eve did not know right from wrong. They only knew what God said. That's all they did. If, if Eve asked the question, Adam, what are you going to do today? He says, I'm going to name the animals. Well, why are you going to do that? Well, God said. <laughs> That's why I'm going to do it. God said. So in Genesis 3, that creature that was the highest creation, the first creation, that Lucifer, he was jealous of man, and so he came into the garden and the garden was called Eden. Do you know what Eden means? Pleasure. <laughs> Adam and Eve were in a garden of pleasure. And, and into that setting, he came and, and he tempted, he deceived the woman, and then Adam followed and willfully disobeyed because God had given a charge to, that they could eat of all the fruit except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But you know what Eve thought? The same thought that Lucifer had. I can be like God. I can be like God. You know what I've come to realize? All sin is a form of insanity. All sin is a form of insanity. I was listening to Rick Warren this week, and he says, you know, Everyone, everyone is a little bit crazy. And, and think about it. Think, think about sin. So a God who wants the best for you puts you in a garden called pleasure where everything is taken care of. And you say to yourself one day, I think I can do better. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. And so this temptation brought about 
a new allegiance between this first creature, Lucifer, and mankind. And, and the, the deed and the commission and the authority of man was lost to Satan, to Lucifer, to uh, the adversary. And, and, and it would seem, it would seem from that, that the whole situation of the future was hopeless. But God had a plan to take back authority from Satan and to take back the earth that he had created for man. And, and throughout the Old Testament, you have, you have great men like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You have, you have prophets. You have priests. And, and, and they begin talking about God's ways. But mostly, they're saying, someone's coming. All through the Old Testament, here's the message that rings loud and clear. Someone's coming. And then, of course, all of a sudden, the New Testament opens, and here's the first verse we read in Matthew chapter 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, which seems backwards, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, Abraham should get first billing, shouldn't he? No, no. Because one of the things that God said to David was, there is going to come someone to sit on your throne and your throne will last forever. And the book of, the book of Matthew is, is the book that's written to fulfill the idea that Jesus is the Messiah more than anything else. And if Jesus is the Messiah, certainly has to be God. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and this is the name by which he will be called. Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father. So he has to be divine. He's the eternal God. But he also has to be human because he has to be a descendant of David. And so that's what Matthew chapter 1 lays out the genealogy so that Jesus has a regal, royal right to the throne of David. And, and here's, Satan doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand the plan. And, and most of the nation of Israel doesn't understand the plan. But, but this, this king that has, that has come to take back the kingdom first has to die for the people that he's going to rescue so that he becomes their savior. And there has been, back to the invisible war, there has been a battle taking place from the beginning of time so that, so that God's plan will be thwarted or God's plan will be fulfilled. 
And every human being, even if they're not aware of it, even if they don't believe it, and most people don't believe in the devil. If, if you're at a party and you, you bring up the, the subject of Satan, people will probably move away from you. Because, because to them, you don't believe all that stuff, do you? But there's been an invisible war. And and the whole world is constantly in turmoil because of this invisible war. That's all point one. (laughs) That's, That's the first part of point one. So why is there no peace? Because there's an invisible war going on. Listen, listen to the way John the Apostle captures it. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. The whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes and he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against power powers and principalities, rulers of darkness in high places. There's an unseen enemy moving in the hearts of most human beings on this planet. And, and he gets them to work and to think and to react on his behalf to take away, always to take away from the glory of God. Now here's what struck me. Recently, our leaders, the leaders in the world that we have had through the whole history of humanity, I'm talking about human leaders now, our leaders are for the most part two things. They're unqualified. (laughs) Aren't you tired of unqualified leaders? I am. Do you know most of the people who have been leaders in this world, not all, but for the most part, they're unqualified. You know why? They're always making promises and they never deliver. Never. I get, I get so tired of unqualified people trying to lead other people, making promises. And you know what? People are duped over and over again. Not only that, they're complicit. (laughs) They go along. They go along with with the father of lies. They go along with the prince of darkness. They they go along with with this dark kingdom agenda. Will and Ariel Durant wrote 11 volumes called The Story of Civilization. It's a monumental work. It's an amazing work. It covers 3,500 years of human history. Do you know in 3,500 years of human history, we have only as as a race enjoyed 300 years of peace. (laughs) Think about that. Out of 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 3,500 years of human history recorded, we, we have only enjoyed peace for 300, that's, that's like 8 to 9% of recorded human history. Now, in that time, 
8,000 peace treaties have been written and broken. As one man says, how many peace treaties have been broken? All of them. <laughs> All of them. Why? Because, because this invisible war that's taking place and because men are incapable of, of finding the peace of God on their own. Here's, a, here's an interesting phrase that Durant uses in his story of civilization. He says, politics are a lust for power. And I wouldn't just say politics. I, I would say in the church as well. I, I would say just about in every place in human society, most people, especially leaders, are lusting for power. Which is so upside down. Think, think about our king. Eminently qualified. He is God and he is the greater son of David. And he's qualified. And, and not only is he qualified, he bears out his qualifications in the way he lives and in the way he leads. Here's, here's a summation of the Beatitudes from, from the other side. In our natural state, we're proud, we mourn for the wrong things, we use power selfishly, we want the wrong things, we lack mercy, we worship the wrong things. We prefer conflict. You know, it's a statement I hear people say all the time. They say, I don't really like conflict. That's what people say. Let me tell you what I hear when they say that. I want my way. People say, I don't like... Well, sure you do. I mean, you may not like the process, but you're willing to do it. Why? Because we want our way. The greatest description of, of what the human heart is like comes from Isaiah chapter 53. All of us, like sheep, have gone our own way. Way. And then here's, here's how Matthew 5 describes. These are the metaphors it uses for the world. Our world is dark and corrupt. It's dark. It's dark. And, and it's corrupt. Second question. Whew. That was question one. Here's question two. We'll go quickly. Is it possible to have peace? Is it possible to have peace? And the answer is yes. But only if we become citizens of a new kingdom. You were born into this kingdom which loves conflict, which loves turmoil, which wants its own way and thus creates its own turmoil. So that means you've got to become a citizen of a new kingdom. Here's what Colossians 1 says about the people of God. We have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. We, we, have, become, we have become new citizens. We belong to a different kingdom. 
And, and one of the greatest things, and this is what we're focusing in on on this series, one of the greatest things that we get is when we become sick, there's, there's all kinds of benefits we get. Would take, it would take all day, maybe all week and all month, just to go over all the things that you received in your inheritance automatically as a member of this kingdom. But one of the greatest things you receive is the gift of peace. You actually received. You, you should never say, Lord, give me more peace. <laughs> Why? Because you have it. You received it when you accepted Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of Jesus, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Isn't that interesting? He's giving a gift, and then he's making a command in the same verse. <laughs> so he's, he's like, this is yours. Then you know what he says? Use it. Use it. If, if you said, I don't have enough money, and previous to that statement, somebody had given you a million dollars, you have the money. You just need to use it. You need to activate that gift of peace. But, but we have restless hearts, don't we? I mean, I have a restless heart. Trouble comes my way. Conflict comes my way. The world starts crowding in, and, and I get restless. Romans 12 says the only way to overcome that is to have our minds renewed. We must learn to trust Jesus the way God, or the way Jesus trusted his Father. And, and do you remember when, one of the greatest conversations is between Jesus and Pilate in John chapter 19. <laughs> and so here's, here's a man with seemingly no power and here's a man with seemingly all the power. And the only guy in the room that's nervous is Pilate. And Pilate actually says to Jesus at one point, don't you know that I have the power to take your life from you? You know what Jesus says? You have no power except what my Father has given to you. In his exchange with Pilate, you know what he was doing? He was trusting his Father. Later on in the garden, you could see he's, he's struggling. And by the way, this whole idea of having peace, there's a struggle involved. You know why there's a struggle involved? So that you'll learn to have peace. Why? Because this is, it's a three-step process. One one is acquisition. You have to acquire peace. And if you've come to Jesus Christ, you've acquired peace. And, and now, you're, now I'm reiterating the fact, so, so you're being informed of an acquisition that you already have. So I'm telling you. Everybody understand? Right? Shake your head. I understand. I have peace. I have peace. I receive Jesus. I have peace. So I, I get that. I've, been in, I, I've acquired it, and now I've been informed about that acquisition. Now, now, this is really, really important. Second step, you have to exercise. Every day of your life, sometimes night, 
You have to exercise in the gymnasium of faith. You have to exercise. And, and the, way you're gonna, the way I want to teach you through this series is you're going to learn to, you're going to learn to think in a whole different way, act in a whole different way, respond in a whole different way. And, and you can't do it on your own. You're going to see that unless the Holy Spirit who has placed that peace in you that you want to activate, unless you are completely depending on the Holy Spirit to do it, you're not going to be able to exercise. But here's the great thing. The more you begin to exercise this peace, the more peace you're going to sense, you're going to experience. You're going to experience the possession that you already have. And then third step, it's always the hard one. That's one of the reasons you're here this morning, (laughs) is motivation. And motivation leaks, doesn't it? I mean, I know many times what I'm supposed to do. Yes, yes. I should be a peacemaker. I don't feel like being a peacemaker right now. My motivation leaks. And so, and so I, need, I need to regularly be around Jesus. Like when he's in that boat, I want to be around him. Because the wind and the waves are going to scare me. And I need to get as close to him as I possibly can. You know what all that's called? All of that is called faith. <laughs> faith. And you know what I've come to realize? You know what faith is? Faith is thinking the right things about God, yourself, other people, and this world. And, and it, involves, it involves, we've talked about this before, it involves your left brain and your right brain. You've, you've got to think rationally, reasonably, but you've also got to think relationally. And that's the right side of your brain. You've got to, I've got to sync up with God, with the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. And then the way that's tested, whether or not I really have synced up with God, is I'll be able to sync up with you. Because <laughs> if, if I haven't synced up with God, I won't be able to sync up with you. Faith is our thinking, our attitudes, our willingness to suffer, our desires, and our reactions to difficulties. That's what faith is. And over the next today and eight weeks, my prayer is that your faith grows. My faith grows. So I'm going to have you stand right now. I'm going to close a different way. And then I'm going to pray, but I'm going to have you stand first. And I'm going to lead you. I bet you didn't know that I could do that. We're going to sing this song, one verse. When I wake up in the middle of the night, you know what I do? I don't do it too loudly because I don't want to wake up Linda. I sing a hymn. And I can't tell you what these hymns mean to me when my heart is troubled. So we're going to sing. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Come on, sing. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, 
purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Now this is where you break loose. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. When I'm doing that, it just pushes out all the turmoil. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the blessed assurance how fortunate we are to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen.